Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works and reminds you that the more that things change, the more we need to depend on those things that never change. And one of the things that never changes is Judeo-Christian Bible-based faith. And uh, you might say, well, what is the purpose of that? Who needs that? And I've had many people say, Rabbi Lappin, I relate to you when you speak about family. I certainly relate to you when you speak about finance. When you speak about fitness and physical health, I get that. You speak about friendships. But when you come to speak about faith, I simply don't understand you, and I I want to turn you off. (laughs) Well, fortunately, nobody's turning me off, but uh, you might stop listening, but you're not turning me off. And I speak about uh, the faith because it makes it so much harder to understand how the world really works if you don't understand anything about faith. If you don't know the extent to which our ability to understand the world and our ability to maintain a healthy self-identity depends upon... Yes, it does, and I'm going to try and demonstrate that to you. Um, Then you really are at something of a handicap. And so today... We're going to take a look at uh, what drove Adolf Hitler um, and the Nazi party. Why was it necessary to kill six million Jews to such an extent that many historians of World War II, I I won't say many, several important historians of World War II, make the point, and I think there is considerable validity to this, that had there been less of an obsession with killing Jews and more of an obsession with winning the war, there is the possibility that Germany actually might have won. Now, admittedly, once the United States entered the war at the end of 1941 um, and, uh, and, and Germany was bogged down with the approaching Russian winter on the Eastern Front, by that time, it was already uh, quite late and, uh, and, and questionable, I think. But there were opportunities beforehand that were squandered because there was so much obsession with murdering Jews. You'd, you'd think, you know, why don't you focus on the war? And then when you've won, then you can deal with all your enemies. And um, the point I want to make is that several of the historians I'm going to quote are are very possibly people you've never heard of. Uh, They're academic historians. Their their work, frankly, is I don't find it particularly easy to read, but I I wade through it as a public service to you, my happy warriors, so you don't have to do... Well, that's not, not altogether correct. I wade through it because I... I think there are gems and nuggets to be found there, even though the going is a bit hard. And so uh, my point is that there are a lot of really 
outstanding, well-qualified, uh, very professional and and highly specialized scholars of the Nazi period and of the Holocaust and of Adolf Hitler, who literally rub their chin and scratch their head trying to figure out what drove it. And um, they don't get it. And what I want to show you is the reason they don't get it is because they do not know anything about faith. And so even such an important thing, having to do with the success of their careers, having to do with publication of many volumes, in which they say, you know, we don't get it, we don't know, because the faith is absent. And, uh, and that makes a very big difference. So, um, and again, I'm, I'm not... I'm not quoting these scholars because I think you have to make notes of them and go and read them. It's, it's, you, you can certainly look them up quickly and easily, but, um, but I just want you to know that uh, I do do the homework on your behalf. So, um, so there was a scholar, a historian called Alan Bullock. Uh, he wrote a book called Hitler, <clears throat> A Study in Tyranny. It was published back in 1952. Although uh, Alan Bullock lived uh, all the way into the 21st century. And uh, I'm reading something to you um, from what he says. Uh, the more I learn about Hitler, the more difficult it is for me to find an explanation. Uh, then there was a, a German scholar called Ulrich Herbert. And um, he is very well known in, as a German language historian on the Nazi period. And um, he says, as there is no theory on the Holocaust, all we're doing is basically discussing the event itself again and again, which might lead our interest towards gaining insight. But what he's saying is, we don't have it at the moment. And... Uh, uh, he um, he uh, he ends off there. We just don't understand what motivated Hitler. Another very good one is um, Ian Kershaw. Uh, Ian Kershaw's book is entitled Hitler, eighteen eighty nine to nineteen thirty six, and uh, it was published in ninety eight in in Stuttgart. And again, very interesting book, um, very detailed biography of, his, of Hitler. But he also, this is, this is as close as he comes to explaining it. I'm, I'm reading the, a, a translation out of the German. In the worst possible way, Hitler demonstrated what we are capable of. Auschwitz comes to the limits of what can be explained. Historians can describe how it happened, but why it happened is a completely different question. Hitler was an authoritarian type, obsessed with an extraordinary and hardly explainable desire for destruction. Um, yeah, that's not, that's not helping very much. Um, there was a, another German-Jewish historian, Saul Friedlander, and uh, his book was called Das, you'll pardon my German pronunciation, Das Dritte Reich und die Juden, The Third Reich and the Jews. And uh, Friedlander, uh, you can see his frustration in his work with trying to grasp 
Hitler's motivation. And he writes, we know the details of what happened. We know the chronology of events. But the underlying dynamics of the phenomenon evade our grasp. And these guys are all telling the truth from their secular worldview. You know, you'll see that what I'm going to be leading you towards is the idea that if you do not understand religion and you do not understand what I call the Judeo-Christian Bible-based tradition, and you don't understand Hitler's, the reason for Hitler's hatred of that tradition, then we're not going to be able to get there. The phrase I like best of all uh, is the phrase, I didn't come up with this phrase, somebody else did, and I'm sorry, I just can't remember who it was, but I remember reading it, um, and that is... Uh, let you know let's imagine that there was let's say you had a whole lot of private stuff on your laptop computer and uh, you didn't want anybody to ever be able to get hold of it uh, for whatever reason you know you don't want anyone to be able to get the software on your computer one reliable way of doing it is to take a sledgehammer and thoroughly destroy your computer until it is nothing but shattered shards of plastic and little scraps of metal and glass. Destroy the hardware in order to destroy the software. And that is what I want to show you in today's show. That what Hitler was doing was trying to destroy the software of the Judeo-Christian Bible-based tradition. And to do that, he had to destroy the hardware. In other words, once there are no Jews left, then there's going to be nobody to preserve the existence of those biblical values. Does Christianity survive the end of Judaism? Well, Hitler explored that question too, and he decided to make a difference between Christians who were close to Jews and Judaism and those that weren't. And you must remember that in, in Hitler's time, Hitler didn't know uh, American evangelicals who are very close to Jews and the Bible. He didn't know many Protestants at all because much of Germany was Catholic and that was what he most knew. So, um, but he did, he did decide quite early that any Christians that were what he called infected with these Bible values, particularly the fifth command, excuse me, the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, uh, have to go. And so, for instance, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses uh, were uh, put in concentration camps and killed very early on because he said that they, um, their passivity and their reluctance to kill comes directly from the Bible and it has to be gotten rid of. So, um, so to just clarify then, I'm showing you that secular academic historians are baffled as to why Hitler was motivated to kill Jews. But me, I'm not a historian. I'm just a redneck rabbi. I'm just your rabbi. I shouldn't say just. That's quite a, uh, a desired status. Your rabbi. Uh, but I have the explanation. 
it's it's not it's not that I'm brilliant. It's not that I know lots of things that other people don't know. But I know one big thing that a lot of other people don't know, and that is the centrality of God and the centrality of Judeo-Christian Bible-based faith in the affairs of Western history. And so my point is, you can't possibly understand the Nazi period. You can't understand the Holocaust. You can't possibly get what drove. Hitler's furious determination to wipe out every last Jew, if you don't understand that what he was really determined to do was to wipe out the faith. He was determined to wipe out the religious set of values that make up Western civilization. Why would that be? Well, I'm going to tell you, but uh, first of all, I'll tell you just a a few more fails because you know these are these are all in the in their world of secular academic history these are all very solid people it's just that they are specialists and you always have to be careful with specialists and experts because the very definition of what they are is that they don't have an overall general picture and so if you are a secular specialist academic historian then you have to be baffled by what motivated Hitler, because it's religiously based, which is an entire area you have shut out of your experience, both personal and professional. Now, it's uh, not only non-Jews who are infected by secularism and are therefore uh, blinded from seeing simple truths and simple realities, But um, even people of Jewish ancestry are capable of uh, experiencing this. As a matter of fact, I think it's safe to say that uh, perhaps as many as half of the self-identifying Jews in the United States of America would be secularly uh, shaped. In other words, their value system would not be the value system of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it would be the value system of secular fundamentalism. And so um, uh, there is a, a very prominent um, Israeli Holocaust historian. His name is Yehuda Bauer. Yehuda is the Hebrew pronunciation for the name Judah. Yehuda Bauer. And, um, and he wrote, um, let's see. Uh, there we go. He wrote, um, in principle, this is Yehuda Bauer, in principle, Hitler can be explained, but this does not mean that he has been explained. Um, Heller, Heller's another one. Uh, listen to this. Um, this is a highly, highly ranked academic historian. Quote, the Holocaust can neither be explained nor understood. It did not serve any purpose. My friends, now this is me speaking again, your rabbi. Of course it can be explained. Of course it can be understood. And absolutely it did serve a purpose. But if you have no understanding of the role that Judeo-Christian Bible-based faith played in the middle of the 20th century, then you're not going to know. And so when she writes, the Holocaust can neither be explained nor understood, it did not serve any purpose. It was neither a kind of liberation nor an event within a causal chain. What that means is there was no cause and effect. There was no, she, there's, there's no way of explaining it. Um, 
uh, finishing her remarks, what is irrational and unreasonable per se cannot be integrated. Cannot be integrated. Um, so, it, for me, and again, I, I just want to stress, this, uh, if you think I'm sounding arrogant, it's not my intention and I don't feel it at all, um, but I do feel just a little bit gratified that my focus in my life on family, friends, finance, fitness, and, and faith has been enormously helpful. I am much more effective in my understanding of how the world really works because faith is a part. And so uh, it's, not, it's certainly not a feeling of arrogance or a feeling of being a better person than anyone else. But I do have a, a clear understanding precisely because I have faith. And in that sense, I have a better understanding than all the people I've mentioned who admit that they don't get it, they don't understand it. I, I, I get it. They, they, they're being honest, and I admire that. Um, there is a, a Polish historian who, who actually lived through the Holocaust and, and spent some time in the Auschwitz concentration camp, uh, Vlad Bartoszewski. And uh, he wrote, uh, let's see, when, when did I make a note of his? Uh, his, his book is, is fairly recent, but listen to his words. And again, I'm, I'm pulling out quotes. I'm obviously, I'm, I'm not reading you extensive sections, but I'm pulling out quotes from all of these historians' books where they acknowledge that they simply cannot explain why Hitler was so focused on eliminating, exterminating, and murdering Jews. So here's Vlad Bartoszewski, uh, quote, Today, the historic political, theological, and philosophical literature on Auschwitz encompasses some thousands of books and an even larger number of smaller contributions, probably in all languages. The phenomenon of Auschwitz is a topic not only for scientists, but also for artists. Nevertheless, it remains incomprehensible, ungraspable, and most incredible. <laughs> Is he saying, we don't get it. But by the time we're through with today's show, we will get it. You will get it. And, and I think you will probably see that it is actually correct. Um, now, here's, here's an interesting one. Uh, in January 2006, um, it was the 60th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz concentration camp. So in January, they find an old guy called Ernest Kramer, uh, who was one of the Jews who was liberated in 1945. And um, he, uh, he, in his speech, he gave a speech at the German parliament, at the Bundestag, and he, uh, he said the following, Again, I'm quoting his exact words. This genocide was the biggest catastrophe which has ever befallen the Jews, and at the same time, the most ungraspable tragedy of German history. Ungraspable. Uh, one of the biographers of uh, Adolf Hitler, uh, and again, I, I've always called him Joachim Fest, 
maybe it's Joachim, I'm not sure what the correct German pronunciation of his name is, but um, I've read all of his stuff uh, because, again, I mean, I, 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 I have been uh, very much obsessed with trying to understand World War II and uh, the essence of the Nazis, and I've spent a lot of time on it. You will actually discover uh, a whole lot about it. You know, it's the core of what I'm telling you lies in an audio program on our website called um, Clash of Destiny. Uh, the um, struggle between Israel and Islam. You might say, what on earth does that have to do with Nazi Germany? A huge amount. Um, it's I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I'll tell you a little bit more about it soon. But in order to understand what drove Hitler to launch World War II and what drove him to focus his efforts more on exterminating all the Jews of the world than on winning the war, um, you do need to understand a little bit of Bible. And, uh, and I explain that very meticulously in a two-hour audio program called Clash of Destiny, which you will see. And, and you, I'm, I'm hoping most of you have already acquired this and, and heard it. By the way, it's a really nice thing to study in conjunction with somebody else who shares your interest. Um, I've spoken about this before. It's a fantastic relationship building tool. You know, to study something substantive and serious, to study the world of ideas together with someone else who shares that interest uh, brings you closer. And uh, and so, you know, whether it's a spouse or whether it's somebody you'd like to be your spouse or whether it, whatever it is, um, I would strongly recommend that you get your copy of uh, uh, Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam, and um, and studying it together with, with somebody who you'd enjoy spending time with and so with somebody whom you'd enjoy enriching the relationship with. So, uh, anyway, Joachim Fest, great biographer of Hitler, really, really important, uh, to me anyways, read a lot of his stuff. Um, and finally, the last thing he did uh, in his life, I think he died also into the 21st, like 2005, 2006, somewhere there in the first decade of the 21st century, um, he, uh, he wrote, um, basically describing how futile his work is. It's not true, it's not futile, but because he could not come up with an explanation, it struck him as futile. And again, here's what he wrote. I do not comprehend the murder of the Jews, and nobody who has ever dealt with it has ever even come close to a convincing explanation. That's what he wrote, and he's exactly right. Um, I, I hope you're all interested in this and, uh, and are going to derive some benefit from it. Again, uh, what you're going to see is that what Hitler hated and it's something that a secular historian cannot comprehend. But what Hitler hated was the software. What Hitler hated was the fact that Jews brought into the world a set of rules for human society that had never existed before. I think this is the important thing. Um, 
I, I would say that Hitler envisaged three periods of human history. Uh, from the beginning of human history up to uh, the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai to Moses. The second period was from then until Hitler took charge of Germany. And the third period he envisaged would be what he saw as his messianic period. In other words, a world free of Jewish influence, Bible influence, Christian influence, and uh, based entirely on Hitler's re resumption and return of the archaic pre-Bible law of human interaction. In other words, what used to be the case, until the Bible introduced the concept of the just war, and many Christian theologians, uh, people like Hugo Grotius, for instance, followed on the biblical studies of a just war and wrote many books, and, and there are many people who did, trying to study what is God's vision of how war should be conducted. Hitler rejected all that. He hated this idea that there should be any restrictions. And sure enough, until the appearance of the Bible on the scene, warfare was different. And you only have to take a look at some of the uh, records of warfare we have of the Greeks and the Persians and the Babylonians. And, and we discover that sure enough, when country A conquered country B, or when people A conquered people B, they exterminated them. The women and children they usually took as slaves. Some of the men they took as slaves, they killed everybody else. Because that's, if you think about it, isn't that the goal of a war? It's us or you. We're not, we don't both, like what do you think war is? Like uh, 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 Olympic Games in another way? No. I mean, the notion that no, no, you know, some of the nonsense that's going on right now with uh, President Biden of America, I'm recording this in February 2022, and, uh, and uh, President uh, Putin of, of Russia and uh, the dealings with the Ukraine. Oh, said Prime Minister Bi uh, President Biden lately, oh, we cannot have countries gaining territory by, by means of war. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think is the the whole history of the world, short of a relatively few thousand years recently, where that was thrown into question? But prior to that, that's what war was. Of course, it was. And sure enough, there was no question in Hitler's mind that when he conquered Poland, Poland gets absorbed into uh, into Germany. By the way, something you may not be aware is that um, the number of of uh, non-Jews murdered by, uh, by Adolf Hitler was very high. It was much higher than the number of Jews that were murdered. Now, you don't often hear this spoken about because uh, the, the Holocaust has sort of become iconized as a, as a Jewish, predominantly Jewish event, but that wouldn't be true in reality. Um, there were several thousand Jehovah's Witnesses that were killed, um, there was anything ranging from a few hundred to a few thousand homosexuals killed. I mention that because there's always been an attempt to exaggerate Hitler's war on homosexuals, which, which did not, was not really a part of reality. Uh, but the real killing was Slavs.
people of Slavic background. He regarded Poles as Slavs, and, uh, and the Wehrmacht was let loose on civilians. Um, they killed uh, about three million Slavic prisoners of war through starvation, and then they actually killed, and nobody knows the exact numbers. In the, uh, it's hard to imagine the complete chaos of World War II. But um, when I tell you that the low end is six, five to six million, the upper end is ten to eleven million uh, Slavic civilians. This is separate from military deaths. These are civilians that were killed, and so nobody disputes five, five to six million Slavs were killed. But this was all part of it. Okay, why were they killed? because Hitler wanted what's known as Lebensraum, living space. And uh, he, he spoke early on, even in the, um, in the late 20s and early 1930s, he was already saying that uh, Western Russia belongs to Germany, that Ge uh, Germany is going to expand and uh, use Russia for um, settling. They planned on settling 20 million Germans in that area, following the war and also turn it into a huge agricultural enterprise that would become the bread basket uh, for Germany. And so um, th this, is, this is what warfare was done. This, this is how warfare was conducted. Listen uh, to uh, Albert Speer, Hitler's architect. Albert Speer wrote an awful lot. He was uh, sentenced to life imprisonment in Spandau prison at the Nuremberg Trials, and again, very worthwhile stuff, Spandau Diary by uh, Albert Speer, very important. Anyway, he reports uh, Hitler ranting, um, and I think it was in 90, I think he said it was in 1942, um, and he's, he's citing Hitler's words. I imagine that these days people wonder, how can the Fuhrer, speaking about himself in the third person, how can the Fuhrer destroy a city like Petersburg, which became Leningrad? Um, when I recognize that the species is in danger, meaning, you know, the, the, human, the, the German people, my emotions are replaced by ice-cold reason. All I see are the victims of the future if something is not sacrificed today. Petersburg must disappear. Here, we must apply ancient principles. The city must be completely razed to the ground. Also, Moscow as the seat of the communist doctrine will disappear from the earth. I do not feel anything when raising Kiev, Moscow, and Petersburg to the ground. Conscience is a Jewish invention. It's incredible. And uh, in a lot of Hitler's speeches and writings from the late 20s and early 30s, I have found again and again and again this, uh, this intense and ferocious hatred for the idea of conscience. And he stresses that it's something given to the world by the Jews. And I'm, I'm hoping you're beginning to see the idea that, there's a that the software of morality and conscience and international, what international relations should look like, and uh, our approach to the sanctity of life. Um, early on, by the way, I don't think the war had started, 
uh, before Hitler arranged for a sanitarium, I think it was in Berlin, uh, to kill thousands of people with both physical and mental handicaps. I think they ended up killing uh, several, maybe 200,000 German citizens who were handicapped. This is all on the way to producing a more perfect Germany. And he saw handicapped people as a drain on the economic resources of society. And so, clearly, what had to be done, they had to be killed. But he was very bothered by the fact that, uh, that there were criticisms of that action. And he said, again, it's only because of what Jews gave to the world would anybody be complaining. The death of handicapped people is what used to be part of ancient conduct. And so everything in his mind was to revert back to how things were in the first period of human history up till the arrival of the Bible, uh, when people acted uh, with strength and where survival of your own people was of paramount importance. Um, the one, I mean, I'm saying, you know, that if you really want to understand what happened and why Hitler did what he did, uh, you have to understand faith. The one other thing you do have to understand is Hitler's vision of himself as the Messiah of the German people. And, and there really was an almost religious uh, devotion to Hitler. He was called the Führer, the leader. He was not even ever referred to by name. He was just the Führer. Uh, and so people saw him, and he himself saw himself as the uh, messianic figure who would restore the traditional greatness of the German people. You know, uh, one of the things that I talk about in the audio program uh, Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam, is that there, there are certain similarities. Uh, or, you remember I told you that Hitler was more concerned with destroying the Jews than with winning the war. What historians don't fully grasp is that Hitler saw the war as a step towards his main goal, which was eliminating Jews. The war was, was a simple secondary matter. He saw the war as, as following inevitably in the same way that uh, he, he brought German troops back into the Rhineland before the war and he took over Austria before the war and Czechoslovakia fell to him and then he took Poland uh, and everything went smoothly for him. He saw the war as almost a, a routine, simple matter. He'll, the, the actual prosecution of the logistics of the war, he'll deal with that. That's easy. But the real challenge was making sure that every last Jew got killed. And he conceded at one point, he said, this is, presents economic and logistical challenges. How do you go about literally robbing millions of human beings of life? How do you terminate the existence? How do you exterminate not a thousand, not 10,000, not a hundred thousand, millions of human beings? They certainly can't use a bullet for each one because that's far too expensive. And so they have to come up with industrial methodology in order to do the job. This stuff was the real challenge. 
and uh, and so one of the things I speak about is that uh, that you you notice the same sort of thing uh, today, whether it's Iran or some of the other radical uh, Islamic institutions and uh, entities. They are not interested in prosperity. They're not interested in the, the lives of their young people. Their central focus is the ending of Israel and the killing of Jews. That's what it is. And so, you know, you could actually have gone to Hitler and said, look, we'll give you Czechoslovakia, we'll give you Poland, we'll give you part of, of Russia, but no more killing of anybody and certainly not of Jews. Hitler would have said, no deal, you don't get it. That's what this is all about. That central point I've just explained is something that secular historians have no way of grasping. They don't get that, but that's fundamental. In exactly the same way that if you did what many people have tried to do, gone to Palestinians, gone to um, radical Islamic uh, entities surrounding Israel and said to them, look, between the United States and the European Union, we will guarantee you guys unbelievable prosperity. You'll all live like you've never lived before. All you've got to do is make peace with Israel. And what do they say? No deal. You don't understand. This isn't about houses and cars. This isn't about prosperity. This is about our central defining purpose. And so one of the things I describe in the audio program I really, really would love for you to hear is that the spirit of Nazism, uh, which has shown up earlier in history, and with the end of Nazism, the spirit characterized by a biblical name, Amalek, which I'm not going to talk about now, but it's in my program. It's in that audio program. Uh, the um, this has transferred to parts of the Islamic world, and there are very good reasons for this. So, so for instance, um, in the book of Samuel, chapter uh, the first book of Samuel, chapter fifteen, we know that um, uh, King Saul wiped out the people of Amalek and left alive Agag, the the king of the Amalekites. And then uh, the book of Samuel, book one, goes to great lengths to point out that there was a night where something happened, and it was only the next day that the prophet Samuel came and himself um, killed King Agag. What happened during that night? What happened during the night, says ancient Jewish wisdom, um, obviously Agag implanted his seed somewhere, because in the book of Esther, hundreds of years later, we discover that Haman, also willing to go down in flames rather than to surrender his purpose of exterminating the Jews. You must read the book of Esther if you never have, by the way. It's, if, you can't understand. You literally cannot understand World War II if you haven't studied the book of Esther. And so uh, uh, Haman is a descendant of Agag. But Agag was killed the next morning, and all the, pre all the other Amalekites were killed by Saul, King Saul, the previous day. So how did the seed of Agag get to Haman? And the answer is that Agag raped uh, the um, maidservant who brought him his final meal in his cell before he was going to be executed the next day. Uh, well, again, 
you don't need me to tell you that at times of mortal peril, even men who always have women on their mind do not at that time. In other words, if there's ever a time that libido flees the male ego, it's when he faces death. That's, that's really not a time that men think of sex. It just doesn't happen. And so uh, um, this is astonishing, and it's a characteristic of Amalek and a char- characteristic of Agag that the night before his execution, he was still able to uh, procreate, literally, is what happened. Well, I mentioned before some of Hitler's historians, um, Joachim Fest, uh, there's Conrad Haydn and, and, and many other, um, several of them are quite convinced that Hitler had no relationship with a woman at all until uh, the night he took his own life and uh, he and, um, and his, his mistress, Eva Braun, uh, committed suicide. In other words, death and sex going together in an inexplicable way. Anyway, uh, enough of that for here. But that's part of what I explain in greater depth in the audio program called um, The Clash of Destiny, Decoding the Secrets of Israel and Islam. Uh, Go to RabbiDanielLappin.com. Please make sure you get hold of it. You just go to the store, look for an audio program. And here's the best thing. You can download it right after you finish listening to the show today. You download it. You got it. And... uh, you and a friend, you and somebody you enjoy being together with, can study it together. Um, As they say, it'll blow your mind. It's extraordinary. And uh, only through that do we understand the World War II and the Holocaust. And again, my purpose today in this show is not trying to, um, uh, is, is not trying to show you information about World War II. It's not what we're speaking about um, uh, learning. You know, my purpose is not for you to become a World War II scholar. That's not the issue. My purpose is for you to see a specific example of where being without faith makes it very difficult to understand how the world really works. Um, I've got to read you, uh, Reinhard Heydrich was um, one of the officers very close to Adolf Hitler, whom Hitler trusted with the job of um, planning out and working out how to get rid of millions of Jews. And um, I, I myself was astonished to discover that it was as early as still September 1939. The war hadn't been going for more than three weeks before the following order was given by Reinhard Heydrich to all the Einsatzgruppen um, of the secret of the SS. These these were specific uh, battalions that were sent in behind the Wehrmacht. As the Wehrmacht conquered territory, in this case it was Poland, the Einsatzgruppen, uh, and um, Adolf Eichmann, by the way, was part of that as well, uh, they then... Uh, issued, they then went in to mop up and collect the Jews and, and deal with them. And so this is an order, uh, and I'm reading it again, translated from the German, to the heads of all Einsatzgruppen of the secret police uh, concerning the Jewish problem in occupied Polish territory. 
Um, I refer to today's meeting in Berlin and once again point out that the intended overall measures, that is the final goal, must strictly be kept secret. It must be distinguished between the final goal which will require longer periods of time. The steps towards achieving the final goal which will be carried out in the near future. The intended measures require the most thorough preparations both in respect of technology and of economy. It is a matter of course that from here the oncoming tasks cannot be determined in every detail. At the same time, the following instructions and guidelines are meant to instruct the heads of the Einsatzgruppen to make practicable considerations. And so, um, uh, <laughs> well, that's what they did. Now, you should know that a lot of the theories about Hitler, you know, he had a deep inbuilt hatred of Jews. He actually was the child of a, 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 of a Jewish rapist, um, uh, he, all kinds of theories, none of them are borne out by actual study. Um, Hitler did make use of anti-Semitic slogans very early on in his political career. However, it seems to me with beyond a doubt that these were politically being used as opposed to coming out from his, his heart. Now, it's not that I'm saying, oh, Hitler wasn't an anti-Semite. Uh, I think people who kill Jews can safely be said to be anti-Semites. But what I'm trying to point out is that it was a careful, cold-hearted calculation. You, he had to kill the Jews in order to fulfill his role as Messiah of a new age of Germany. Um, there's ample evidence that uh, he, he had good relationships with Jewish artists when he was a young man in Austria. Uh, there is written evidence that he defended Zionists against anti-Semites. Um, he had good relationships with Jewish merchants. Uh, many Jewish merchants let him have things he needed, art supplies, food, etc., and took drawings and paintings from him in exchange. Um, he, had, he was never rejected by Jewish professors at the Academy of Arts, as, as has often been said. Not true. Um, in 1939, after Germany had already taken over Austria in, in what was called the Anschluss, Hitler personally arranged for the safe passage of a German Jewish family, the Bloch family. Um, uh, Edward Bloch was a doctor and apparently had treated the, uh, the, the Hitler family. Anyway, the Bloch family was got to America safely because of Adolf Hitler getting him out. Um, what, what, what sort of things was he saying in 1920s, early 30s? Um, here's an example. This one he said as early as 1919. Do not think you will be able to fight a disease without killing the agent without destroying the germ, and do not think to be able to fight racial tuberculosis without taking care of the people that will be free of the agent of the racial tuberculosis. The workings of Jewry will never stop as long as the agent, the Jew, is not taken away from us. Incredible. And, and the things that uh, Hitler most strongly objected to were verses like... Uh, um, Hosea, the prophet Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. I desire mercy, not blood sacrifice. Right? Hitler hated that. 
He hated um, the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. Uh, I, I corrected myself there. The Hebrew says thou shalt not murder, not thou shalt not kill, because uh, the death penalty uh, administered by a court is not ruled out by the Bible. Um, how about uh, Leviticus 19? Um, the uh, protection of the stranger in your country, foreigner living in your country, you may not oppress him. All of that is Leviticus uh, chapter 19. How about uh, Deuteronomy chapter, th uh, chapter 30? This is a good one. Today I've presented to you life and, uh, and uh, death. Heaven and earth shall be my witness. Life and death is what I've presented you, blessing and curse, so that you will choose life. And um, other nations, in other words, before the arrival of the Bible, before Jews started preaching this stuff, um, there was no notion of sanctity of life. As a matter of fact, there are Greek writers going back to 300 BC where um, uh, they contrast the Jewish prohibition of killing children with the Greek practice of abandoning children and infanticide. Uh, the Roman writer Tacitus wrote about the Jews, it is a deadly sin by the Jews to kill an unwanted child. All of this stuff was really bothersome to Adolf Hitler. And um, he wrote, I mean, he not he wrote, at a speech at a Nuremberg party conference, you know the Nuremberg rallies he held, in 1929, Hitler used these words. Um, let me see where I got it. Uh, here. If in Germany one million children were born each year and 700,000 of them, of the weakest ones, would be disposed of, in the end the result might be an increase in our power after all. It is most dangerous that we ourselves cut off the natural selection process by caring for the disabled and the weak. The clearest state in history, Sparta, did systematically carry out these laws. That's what Hitler literally referred to the Spartan idea of strengthening yourself by, by um, weeding out the weak among you. Um, by the way, Mein Kampf, which I have read extensively, uh, I know the book reasonably well, that's Hitler's book, My Struggle. Um, there's many, many examples, but let me just give you one. This is in Hitler's own words. Not coincidentally, it is first of all always the Jew who tries to implant such deadly and dangerous ideas of keeping every newborn child alive and of making killing a matter of conscience. I mean, gosh, it could hardly be any clearer, right? I mentioned uh, earlier that they killed about, I think it was about 250, about a quarter of a million disabled Germans, mentally and physically disabled people, at the notorious Grafeneck Asylum in the town of Württemberg. And um, there was a certain amount of attack from the church, on this, and um, uh, in a meeting, uh, I think a pastor by the name of Reinhold Sauter um, argued with Hitler and said, this violates the Ten Commandments. You may not 
kill somebody because you decide his life isn't worthy of living. And um, the, uh, the answer was, that fifth commandment, it's not really the fifth, it's the sixth, thou shalt not kill, is not at all a commandment by God, but a Jewish invention. Um, there was a, uh, a German um, historian, Hermann Rauschning, and he met, he interviewed Hitler 13 times. Uh, he also he lived into the 1990s or maybe the 2000s, and um, he records, and again, there's a lot of stuff he's got, and some of it, frankly, uh, I, I'm not even going to quote because it's it's almost too much. I, 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 I'm, I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to just tell you this, where he quotes Hitler saying as, fos, uh, as, as follows. Uh, quoting Adolf Hitler, Hermann Rauschning writes, This devilish thou shalt this, thou shalt that, and that stupid thou shalt not. We must clean our blood from it, from this curse of Mount Sinai. The day will come when against these commandments I will erect the tablets of a new law, and history will recognize our movement as the great battle for the liberation of mankind, liberation from the curse of Sinai. That is what we are fighting. This masochistic attitude of self-torturing, this curse of so-called morality, which is made an idol to protect the weak from the strong, given the eternal fight, the great law of divine nature, it is the so-called Ten Commandments that we fight. And, and I think that that really is the, the, the central basic idea, which a secular historian has trouble believing, that the entire machinery of World War II, the millions of men and the armaments, all of that to destroy the Ten Commandments? Well, yes, if you understand, of course, but I do fully get it that academics and secular historians can't, that makes no sense. But remember, if you want to wipe out the software, absolutely you want to be sure that nobody will ever, ever more read what you got on your computer, don't worry about software programs. The safest way is to take a sledgehammer and pulverize your laptop computer into smithereens. And Hitler did the same thing. You want to wipe out the software of the Ten Commandments? Then you must obliterate the hardware as well. You want to wipe out the ideas? You have to wipe out the people in whose hearts those ideas linger. Um, in, uh, in September, I think, oh no, it was August, July or August 1939, uh, Hitler had a, uh, an audition with the high, the before the United Nations, there was something called the League of Nations. It was about as useless as the United Nations is. Anyway, the League of Nations had a high commissioner for Danzig, and in his presence, Hitler said, if I have to wage war, I would prefer waging war the sooner the better. I would wage it differently from the Germany of Wilhelm II, Kaiser Wilhelm in World War I, which constantly had scruples about using its weapons to the utmost. I will fight ruthlessly to the very end. And when Hitler instructed his armies that as they invaded Russia, 
in June 1941, uh, they must not only conquer territory, but they must kill Russians. And he was aiming at killing tens of millions of Russians. And he said, the ridiculous number of 100 million Slavs will have to be absorbed or pushed away to Siberia. If in this context someone speaks about caring, he must immediately be sent to a concentration camp. We are obliged to depopulate. That was the word Hitler used. We are obliged to depopulate just as we are obliged to adequately care for the German population. A technique of depopulation will have to be developed. You will ask, what do you mean by depopulating? Do I want to get rid of entire peoples? Yes, indeed. It will be something like that. This is Adolf Hitler speaking. It will be one of the most important tasks of German politics for all times to prevent by all means the further growth of the Slavic peoples. Natural instinct tells every being that an enemy must not only be defeated, but destroyed. In ancient times, it was the conqueror's good right to extinguish entire tribes, entire peoples. Our revolution is not just a political and social one. It is only by our movement that the Middle Ages will come to an end. Mankind has been on the wrong track. The tablets from Mount Sinai have lost their validity. The conscience is a Jewish invention. That's the, the Middle period. Remember I said Hitler sees three periods. Uh, from the beginning up to the giving of the uh, of the Bible, the Ten Commandments, from there till Hitler's arrival, and then the glorious messianic future after Hitler has managed to destroy Judaism and Judaism's horrible invention, morality and conscience. In in my research of all this stuff, I came across so many amazing things. <clears throat> I want to bring this show uh, in for a landing soon, <coughs> so there's a limit. Uh, to what I can tell you, but I mean, listen to this one. Um, uh, Hitler wanted to return to uh, pagan antiquity, where whole peoples were liquidated, he crowed triumphantly. Tribes had been resettled, and just recently the Soviet Union had set an example of how things could be done, you know, because the Soviet Union moved undesirables to Siberia. Um, Hitler writes, that same Jew who in those days smuggled Christianity into the world and killed that wonderful thing, namely the ability to triumph and destroy your enemies, once again he has identified a weak spot, the guilty conscience of our world. Peace will only be by way of a natural order. This order requires that the nations will be structured in a way that those being capable will lead this way, the inferior will receive more than they could achieve on their own. Judaism destroys this order. Oh, here's, you, must, you must hear this. Um, speaking to Croatia's minister of war, uh, this was in July 1941, okay? He's, he's on his way to Moscow. He's on his way to Russia. But here's what he says to Croatia's minister of war. So you'd have thought he'd had things to speak about you know, the extent to which he was counting on the, the Balkan people to help him. You'd think that that's what he'd be talking about, but no. Here's the record. Croatia's Minister of War, Slavko Kvaternik. Um, Hitler said, if only one state were to accept it, one Jewish family, no matter for what reason, 
it would become the germ center for renewed decomposition. In other words, Hitler's telling Croatia, don't you give um, haven or sanctuary to even one Jewish family. So, the, what, what, I, what I want you to try and wrap yourself around is this extraordinary idea that Jews were being murdered to wipe out the very core of their religion, Kill, destroy the hardware to get rid of the software. We have to wipe out the Jews because otherwise they will impose again their morality through Christianity on a world teaching that killing the weak is wrong and that destroying your enemy completely and taking over he's killing the men and enslaving the women and children that that uh, may no longer be done and uh, and Jews have to be exterminated to allow the glorious third era of humanity led by Germany to move forward and uh, maybe as we wrap up I should quote this will be I think my last quote for the show um, there is a uh, uh, well, there's an incredible American historian and uh, resource called David Horowitz, um, and David Horowitz of the Freedom Center is uh, a person who used to be during the 1960s. He was a hardcore leftist. He was raised by communist parents. Um, he ran the magazine Ramparts out of Berkeley, the whole student movement. Um, David Horowitz, a very great guy, uh, a remarkable man. And one of his communist teachers was a professor, Isaac Deutscher. And I remember in one of my conversations with, uh, and I learned a great deal from David Horowitz, in uh, one of my conversations with him, he was talking about Isaac Deutscher, his professor. Isaac Deutscher was a hardcore leftist, a communist, and very influential in American academia. Isaac Deutscher is the name, extraordinarily influential. And uh, on this matter of the, uh, of the Germans' war against the Jews, Isaac Deutscher wrote the following, and this will be my last quote for today. Uh, for the historian trying to understand the mass destruction of the Jews, the most difficult obstacle is the absolutely unique nature of this catastrophe. It is not only a question of time and historical perspective. I really doubt that in 1,000 years one will be able to understand Hitler and Auschwitz any better than we do today. Will we then have a more sufficient historical perspective? On the contrary, it might even be that posterity will understand things even less than we do. And, um, and I thought that, that that was just terrific, that even Isaac Deutscher, the great professor, but yes, he was a communist, he was a leftist, he was a secularist, he was an atheist. You are obstructed from understanding reality if you don't begin to have an understanding into faith as well. And so, my friends, and all you happy warriors, the singular message of today's show is that as we focus on our five Fs, we have to understand 
that our ability to fully appreciate marketing, advertising, uh, selling, depends on our understanding the spiritual nature of the human being, and that comes under the heading of faith. And in order to understand the health of the body, we have to understand holistic health and the extent to which the mind controls the body and the extent to which the condition of our soul is reflected in our body. That's right. You want to be fully healthy. You want to be able to be as strong and as fit as you possibly can. Well, you need faith to have that as well. Uh, you value your friends, your social network, you value all of that. Well, you need to have a full understanding of faith in order to make the most of that. And um, family, needless to say, it is not an accident that marriage and family seem to thrive best in communities of faith. And so there it is. That is my answer to the question with which I began. Rabbi, I'm with you when you speak about finance and family. I'm even with you when you speak about friendships and fitness. But come on, really, faith? And my answer is yes. Even the great professors of the universities of America and Europe struggling to understand one of the most profound events of modern times, World War II, fail to do it on their own admission. We don't. It's not imaginable. It's ungraspable. What they say is we don't get it, so nobody can get it. Well, that they're wrong about. They don't get it because there are many things in this world you don't fully understand from a secularized perspective. And uh, this is why the Bible says uh, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Fear of God, that's the beginning of wisdom. That's right. Because so much that we need to understand to fully function in a modern economic environment depends on an understanding of faith. That has been the purpose of today's show for all you happy warriors. And so until we get together again next week, I wish you a week of growth in your finances and your families, your friendships and your fitness, and yes, your faith as well. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless every happy warrior.